I want to share with you guys uh, uh, the concluding uh, word uh, in a series, our Take Heat series. Uh, this is a series that, I'll be honest, the initial plan was that we will be doing something different uh, between May and June, right? Uh, uh, initially, the idea was that we would be physically in the church by now, that we would have done, I had planned a family series, right? That would book, the book ended by Mother's Day and Father's Day, you know, and we would be doing uh, uh, sermons about family relationships and stuff like that. And then God had totally different plans, you know, super curveball uh, uh, at us, you know, and, uh, and, and here we are now. Now, the re reason why I wanted to share by reminding you about this Take Hit series is that personally, um, the Lord started speaking to me from about uh, two months ago. All these things that he said is urgent. The church needs to know these things. It's urgent. The church needs to know these things. And just because it's urgent doesn't mean everything is high octane. Or just because it's urgent uh, doesn't mean that everything is like super intense, right? Um, so over the last month, we have talked about why it's important. We need to think like the persecuted church, you know, so that when we when we go into, into, into seasons of lockdown, FMCO and all that, that we do not wilt, but that we'll be strong in the midst of it, right? Um, we talked about why it's, how it's important uh, to come before God and know that He has spoken and hear Him speak and then reply when He speaks to us, right? We've, we, we've, we've come into His presence to know that we need to align our hearts according to what He is decreeing in heaven, right? So many things that the Lord is saying to us. We have spiritual authority, don't abdicate, right? Remember that? Don't abdicate because times that we live in require and demand spiritual authority, right? And 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 among other things, I I I you can if you if you're new uh, uh, to our church, you can go back on our YouTube. You can listen to the rest of the of the preaching series uh, on uh, the things as a church we need to take heed on. Now today is the concluding one. Keep your fire hot and holy. Right. Keep your fire hot and holy. I'm going to share with you guys a word uh, from Matthew 24. If you are if, if you are eschatologically clued in, uh, then you will hear Matthew 24. You'll be like, oh, it's a end time sermon, you know. And and yeah, maybe every sermon's an end time sermon. Maybe sometimes some some sermons are more end times than others, you know. Uh, but I want to share with you guys this word, and then we'll see how how so to speak end times. Um, it is, right? Uh, so let's look at Matthew 24 and then we'll, we'll, we'll take it from there. Matthew 24 verse 4, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. Leads you astray keeps coming back one. It keeps coming back in Matthew 24. Later I'm going to show you uh, Revelation 12 and it shows up again there as well, right? See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. See that you are not alarmed. You can hear rumors about unrest. You may hear rumors about uh, uh, dissension. You may hear rumors about, about things happening, people jumping here and there, political turmoil. You may hear rumors about chaos happening, hear rumors about conflict. Happening, SIBKL, don't be alarmed. Okay, don't be alarmed doesn't mean you have no response. Don't be alarmed just means don't freak out over it. Jesus is on top of this, right? For this must take place, but the end is not yet. Not yet. 
For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, friends, all these things sound really scary. In a moment, I'm going to help you think through this, okay? All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Now, let's look at verse 9 onwards, okay? Um, uh, see, all these things are birth pains, and birth pains are intense. Birth pains are painful, right? That's why it's called birth pains, you know? But it is the process that is necessary in order to deliver uh, something, in order for delivery, or in our case here, deliverance, right? Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. That's Jesus' name, right? And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many, again, astray. And verse 12 is key. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And I can tell you when I read this line, a chill, not trying to be funny, but a chill runs down my spine. When I read this line and I hear that many Christians, when lawlessness increases, that many Christians' love for God will grow cold, it's not funny. And my thoughts immediately go to every single one of you. My thoughts go immediately to every single one of you. And my heart and my, 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 the cry of my heart is that every single one of you will not be counted among those whose love for God grows cold. But there is a lawlessness that is coming or maybe has come. And, and, and we need to take heed. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be safe. As I care at Sungai Bulo, do you all want to be the one who endures till the end? You do, right? You do, right? I know you do. I do too. And I know the whole team here wants you and each other to endure till the end. Friends, don't just goyang kaki, right? The one who endures till the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, the, the, the exalting of Jesus as king, right? This gospel will be proclaimed to all, the whole world, as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, my friends, I, I, I don't need to be a prophetic or clairvoyant to tell you that Revelation, the book of Revelation, end times things, uh, in the airwaves right now. Uh, I know that many of you uh, have signed up uh, and have been listening uh, to Pastor Chiu's Revelation series every week and it's great, you know, keep doing it, you know, um, and I know that you are thinking about the book of Revelation. I know many of you are reading the book of Revelation or have recently read and it's not just our church, uh, by the way, in case you're not uh, uh, um, uh, uh, like watching stuff from other churches, which I do a little bit of and I see what everyone's saying um, throughout Christendom, other churches are talking about revelation as well. So it's not the SIBKL thing, right? And, and other people are talking about it. Theologians out there are talking about it. Um, churches are, are, are running pulpit series on revelation. So this stuff is in the airwaves. End times talk is in the airwaves. Why? It's obvious that it's brought on by COVID-19, right? Everyone's looking at what's happening out there in this world and thinking, wow, this feels like an intensification of something happening in this world. And we're all trying to understand. Now, I have heard from some of you that you do feel slightly afraid about the future. 
And I just read that whole section from Matthew 24. And if I don't frame this correctly for you, you're going to hear this, mistakenly hear this, as a sermon about doom and gloom. It is not exact opposite. So if you go home and you feel, wow, I'm so scared, right? Then Fergus really failed to communicate the, the, the spirit of this message. Yes, there is going to be, what, what does it say? What did it say, right? Wars, nation fight against nation, kingdom fight against kingdom. There's going to be famine. There's going to be tribulation. People are going to put each other to death. People are going to hate each other, right? And then lawlessness is going to rise, okay? Now, if you hear all this, you might feel afraid. And you might, some of you might feel like, oh, you know what? I want to make immediate plans to simplify my life. I want to go down into an underground bunker. You know, many Americans went into underground bunkers during the Cold War in the 1950s because they thought literally a nuclear war is going to happen on their backyard, you know, and everyone's going to, everything's going to get obliterated. And I know some of you uh, uh, know people, I know many of you will know people who are already making plans to go into their, their, their CMCO, FMCO, whatever MCO version of, and of, of an underground bunker, right? And no, right? No, as Christians, that's not the response. That's not the response, okay? So what is the response? How should we respond to the book of Revelation? How should we respond to, to end times uh, 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 passages or Bible like Matthew 24 or, 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 or elsewhere like, like Thessalon First Thessalonians and all that? How should we respond? Now, here's the thing. Just take the book of Revelation, Okay, it was written for a people who were suffering under Roman rule. The churches that read the book of Re the, the letters, right? The churches that read the, 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 this apocalypse to the, uh, uh, to the churches in those days were undergoing intense persecution. And here's the funny thing about this book of Revelation. If you are super comfortable and you've got a lot to lose, you read Revelation, you're going to get scared. But if you are under the cosh and under the fire and you are being persecuted and you face the challenges and the trials of life all around you, you're seeing your friends get hauled away, you're seeing your, some family members get killed by the government, you're seeing all these things happen and you read the book of Revelation, you'll be like, thank you God, I'm full of hope. So my friends, I think we are somewhere in between. I think we're somewhere in between because there are days when we go into a text like, like, like end times text and we feel like, thank you God that you win in the end, right? But then we are still not uncomfortable to the point that we might feel like, oh no, this is, is, is quite scary, right? But Revelation and all the end times text is there to show us that God is victorious. God is triumphant. God is in control. He is perfectly sovereign. You are perfect in all of your ways, right? He's perfect in all of his ways. To us, he's absolutely in control. And we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. So a few things I want to show you. Let, let me just show you Revelation 12, right? And show you that you can read this and get scared or you can read this and feel like, yes, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Because now 12 verse 7 says, now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Let's just pause there. Church, you don't have to fight the dragon in that sense because you don't have to fight the dragon alone. 
Michael and his angels are in the heavenly places fighting against the dragon. We are not in this alone. We are backed up by the host of angels and, 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 and God who is on the throne knows the end from the beginning. He is triumphant even before the battle begins, right? And our role is to be on our knees, right? Because what did that song say, right? When I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high, oh God. God, the battle belongs what to you right and the dragon and his angels fought back of course there's going to be a pushback but well one of the most important bites in, in in the bible right the dragon and his angels fought back but he was defeated amen now do you see that and feel scared if you see fought back, you feel scared. If you see, but he was defeated, you feel emboldened because the Lord fights this battle and there was no longer any place for them in heaven and the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Verse 11 is key. And they have conquered him, who the saints have conquered the accuser. How? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto death. Blood of the Lamb, Word of testimony, blood of the Lamb that cleanses us, makes us pure, makes us holy, removes us of our sins, removes every legal accusation against us. Holy. Word of the testimony, the, the testimony of the kingdom of God will go out to the ends of all nations and then the end will come. We just saw that in Matthew 24. The church that is prepared to carry this gospel of Jesus into the most fiery places. Hot. Not, they love not their lives, even unto the point of death. Church, keep your fire hot and holy. This is a word of God unto us. So my friends, if you're worried about a future tribulation, maybe we should remember today what God said in Matthew chapter 6. He said, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Okay. So if any of you are a bit worried and maybe every Saturday morning you hear more revelation or you go back and read more things and then you start getting all these conspiracy theory things coming at you and one of the worst things, uh, um, the worst side effects, unintended side effects of doing a revelation series is the sheer volume of ridiculous conspiracy theories that start flying around. Yesterday, I saw one that says that, oh, uh, uh, a computer microprocessor is uh, 386, then 486, then 586 Pentium, and then the next one is 666. I'm like, what? You you didn't even get that sequence right. Like, dude, like, like, like can we cut out all these conspiracy theories and look at Jesus? Just look at Jesus. He's good. He's good, and he's right there with you. 
Okay, so remember when Jesus said that all you Pharisees, you know how to look at the sky, make see whether it's pink or blue and predict tomorrow what kind of weather it is, but you can't see me. You're so clever to read the signs, but you can't read the one who is right in front of you. Let's be like that. Let's be like the people who whom Jesus desires that we can see him and read him and know him and love him. And what he's trying to say to us is, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. I I I I recently adopted a dog, right? Uh, uh, he's a he's a rescued schnauzer. And when I walk him past one stretch of my, my of, of the jalan in front of my house, there are a lot of dogs, and they're like barking like crazy, right? And this poor boy is like is like he's of Sudala rescued dog, right? Traumatized before, right? And he's like looking, 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 and he's small, and the other dogs are big, and and so a little piece of food. Right, and I'm like, come on, boy, come on, boy, stay on me, stay on me, stay on me, right? And he's looking, and then he looks away from all the dogs, and he sees the food, and then, and I'm like walking him with the food, and his eyes are glued. Then the other dogs start barking. Then he looks again, and then I'm like, come on, boy, come on. And then he's like, and then he looks at the food, and then I'm walking him with the food, right? And that's that's what Jesus is saying to every single one of us. We are walking forward, and and then we're hearing all this, all this wars, tribulation, scary things, and Jesus, like, come on, boy, come on, girl, stay on me, stay on me, stay on me. Don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right. I said it to Joshua. I'm saying it to you. Stay on it. Because when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you won't be afraid. You don't look at the storm. Look at me. That's what Jesus is saying. Look at me, right? So church, with that, I want to show you three things. Three things that I want to show you, uh, uh, um, uh, so-called three points, right? Um, uh, number one, I'll show you guys something about the cold Christian. How convicting, and ask us a question, how convicting is your FaceTime with Jesus? Second one thing I want to show you is to show you this thing, uh, just entitled Hot Death. How robust is your theology of suffering? And the final thing I want to show you is talk about holy fire. How responsive are you to being tested and purified? So let's go back uh, um, to, to Matthew chapter 24. Okay, uh, don't worry about the slides, okay? Don't worry about the slides. I don't want to uh, 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 get you to be all distracted by it. But I want to show you this. Jesus says to the disciples, that after the wars and the tribulation and all these things, lawlessness will increase. And because lawlessness increases, the love of many will grow cold. So what this means is that this many is the saints, the ones who believe and love, in God, love God. They are not people who never love God. They are people who once loved God. Okay, So this is not unbelievers. It's people who love God already. And their love will grow cold. Because if you never love God, your love can't go cold. It's already non-existent. But the love of many will go cold. Now, friends, what does a cold Christian look like? Or what does a hot Christian look like? And I want to show you, just imagine this for me. Okay, I believe that for all of us, when we come and encounter Jesus Christ, it's a little bit like when you are doing the groceries and then you bump into an old friend something like that, or you bump into someone you know, right? And you're standing there and you're talking with them. And as long as you're just talking with them right there at the grocer between the coal section and the Maggie Me, right? And as long as you're talking to them and no one is be making any, uh, uh, um, any demands of each other, no one is making any bids for each other's uh, 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 lives, more than just a simple high-high social engagement, everything is fine. 
and you'll be happy to stand there and keep talking to them. And you will still maintain that conversation as long as it is generally pleasant, genial, and, and undemanding, right? And I think for many of us, when we come to know Jesus, we come to church, we visit church, we listen to sermons and all these things, it's a little bit like that kind of interaction, you know, because we're happy to, to continue talking with Jesus as long as he doesn't make any major demands of my life. I'm happy as long as he's happy, you know, um, because I get to retain all of who I am and what I'm doing. My own agenda is still here. I'm still going to go and, and buy, you know, um, um, whatever I want to buy and do my own thing. And after this grocery trip, I'm going to do my own thing, right? But the moment Jesus makes demands of you, then you go like, oh, because now you have now the road forks for you, right? And you have to make a decision. Do I respond affirmatively to his demands of me, his requests of me, his new expectations, his invitation? I don't think it's so much of a demand because Jesus doesn't demand, right? Uh, but, but he invites and so the moment Jesus invites you, then you go, okay, uh, uh, thank you. Uh, okay, nice seeing you. It's been nice catching up. I'll catch you again. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. And then you push your cart to go and buy the cold things in the freezer. Right? And Or it could be that the moment Jesus says, okay, we're going to go now. I'm heading off this way. If you want to join me, you know, uh, for the next level of whatever it is, then you can feel free to come along, right? This is my invitation. And that's when you go, uh, okay, it's okay lah. I have something to do. I've already something planned, right? Now, the cold Christian at this point is no longer comfortable because Jesus has no longer just remained pleasant and convenient. Jesus has made the next move. And because he's made the next move, you have to decide whether you want to move with him or you want to move back along. Now, here's what a hot Christian's response is. When you're hot, it's not really because you found some fire inside. Because it's not by might, not by strength, right? It's by my spirit, right? Says the Lord, right? And Jesus and, and God says, I loved you. You love me because I loved you first, right? Okay. And he's the author and creator of our faith. So there's something inside of us that he that he that he brings about. Now, here's what happens: you stand there, you meet Jesus, and then you have time with him. That's called your face time with Jesus. How convicting is your face time with Jesus? Now, if your face time with Jesus is convicting, my friends. That's provided you have FaceTime with Jesus, right? I assume you all do. If your FaceTime with Jesus is convicting, then that time that you had with him changes everything. So that everything that you had before, all your plans that you had before, in other words, after this, I'm going to go to the cold section, I'm going to buy milk, I'm going to buy, you know, some frozen peas, and then I'm going to go and do the rest of all my things. Like, all that completely is blown out the water the moment I stood there and I met Jesus. Because everything has changed once I met him. He has reordered my whole life. He is reordering my whole day. He has completely flipped around all my, all my priorities. And having encountered Jesus, I can no longer go back to the same thing and go back to the same life because that same thing and that same life no longer exists. 
Now, when I look back at the life that I once had, that thing is as good as dead to me because having met Jesus, He is the game changer. Everything now is different. And suddenly you find that I see beauty in Jesus. It's like blindness comes off the eyes. You see the most beautiful treasure in the world. And you can't go back and do your groceries the way you used to. And He says, I'm going for a coffee. You want to join me at the next level of intimacy with me. He's not going to say it that way, okay? But I'm going to just, just, just showing you how it, how, how it goes from one level to another. And you say, yes, anything. What are you going to do with that card? I'm going to leave it here. And I don't know what's going to happen with that card. I, I just know that I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to go and have that coffee with you because I want to spend a bit more time with you. Right? And that's exactly what happened to the disciples when Jesus called them, come, follow me and be fishers of men. And they dropped their cart and they went with him. That's exactly what a hot Christian looks like. Now, my friends, this is why I'm saying this. If your time with Jesus is convicting you, it's doing something inside of you, it's transforming you, and, and, and it's leaving an imprint in your life, then I want you to know not to be alarmed when all of these noises are coming in because when Jesus says, I'm going, will you follow me? You will say, yes, I'm following you, right? And you're walking with Jesus. But it is the cold Christian at this point who says, so many things out there, I think I can't risk following you. I think I need to just go back and count in things, you know? Bye-bye. Um, Bye-bye. I'll catch you sometime. Bye-bye. And you know who this reminds me of? The guy who wanted, who, who, whom Jesus invited to follow him, and he said, um, uh, my, my father is not dead yet. I, let me go back home and hang out with my father, you know, until he dies and then I can bury him and I can fulfill all my sonly duties and then I'll come and follow you. Or the rich young ruler uh, whom Jesus met and, and Jesus gave him the same invitation and the rich young ruler said, um, uh, I, I've, I've done everything I can and Jesus said that, no, sell everything and follow me. And he's like, uh, um, maybe not. Thanks. I've got other plans, you know. Nice catching up with you. Bye-bye. And then there are these people, right? Like, like the women who are broken and sinful, the woman who came and knelt at his feet and washed his feet with, 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 with perfume and all these things. And you just see some people following him uh, and leaving behind everything and just walking with him in our church. How convicting is your FaceTime with Jesus? I assume you do have... FaceTime with Jesus. If you don't, please do. If you don't, then you're cold. There's no way you can stay warm. There's no way that the fires of affection for Jesus can even have stand a fighting chance if you're not, if you don't have FaceTime with Jesus. And FaceTime with Jesus means time in the scriptures, time in prayer, time in reflection, time letting scriptures read you back, time uh, to, to let the Spirit of God read you back, time with your church community, get into a cell, let them read you, let you read them, you know, and the Bible is alive and active and, and sharp and cutting out disease and cutting out a, a, a sin and all that. And that's your FaceTime with Jesus. So that's, the first point. Because church, when all this noise comes in, I want you all to be hot, white, hot, blue, hot for Jesus. Ken, Ken, your promise is not to me, you know. 
Your promise is not to me. Your promise is, Lord, yes, I want to be hot for you. Yes, Lord, I don't want to be a cold Christian. I want to be hot for you. Now, how do we do this? How do we achieve this? And the next one, hot death. How robust is your theology of suffering, right? Yeah, this was what I was sharing earlier. Um, uh, sorry, just one, one, one slide back. That just really, really helped me think about something, right? Remember Revelation 12? They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Remember I talked to you about like meeting Jesus, you know, in the, in the grocer and you've met him and he's totally changed your life? That's your testimony. That's your testimony. Now you can go to the next person and say, come, meet a man who's seen, who's, who told me everything I've done in my life. And then you run back to your kampong, you tell everybody, that's your testimony. You know who I'm referencing? The Samaritan woman at the well, right? That's her, right? That's her testimony. She met Jesus. Everything was changed. She goes back. That is her word. And from there on, she's following Jesus everywhere he goes, right? Now, friends, when Revelation 12 says that we conquered Satan, the accuser, by the blood of the Lamb, the word of testimony, it is the heat of your witness for God, that I have met him. It's not a cold testimony. It is a rip-roaring, fiery testimony. And I can tell you everything that he has changed in my life. That's what it means. When your FaceTime is convicting you, your testimony is true and full of fire. And Revelations 12, Revelation 12 is happening alive in you. Okay, so that's the first point. Second point. Now, I want to ask you guys, church, how robust is your theology for suffering? How robust is your... Now, why, uh, why, why, why am I even saying this, right? Why am I even saying this? It's because as you hear all these things, and remember I told you, don't worry about tomorrow, enough trouble for each day. So what is the tribulation, wars, famines, and, and, and people dying and all that stuff for today? Here we are. 2021 in June, COVID-19, FMCO, we should, we thought, actually nobody really sincerely thought that the FMCO would have ended uh, today, right? None of us really sincerely thought that, oh, tomorrow, you know, we're going to be back as normal. No, because why? We've seen it happen so many rounds already that they give us two weeks and then like, oh yeah, two more weeks and then after that, you know, whatever, you know, and and what's happening in, in our lives around us. We have people uh, who are struggling uh, uh, to stay alive because they cannot COVID and they are in ICU. And just this past weekend, we had to, we, and when I say we, I mean the SIB family in Semenanjong, you know, we had to release um, one of our, one of our strong men, you know, Reverend Myun, uh, um, uh, who, who went back to the Lord after, after battling with COVID for over a month, right? Um, and, and, Church is grieving. Our leadership is grieving. SIB Semnanjong, SIB BM churches, especially the OA churches, we're grieving, right? Uh, because we have to release and send Reverend Mune back to the Lord. And it's okay to grieve. It's understandable to grieve. Grieving, losing someone in death is a little bit like an amputation. I've heard it being described. You lose like a part of your body, you know, depending on how close you are to them, right? It's hard. But church, with all these things around us, I don't want you to have a Nambi Pambi theology of suffering and, and tribulation and death because that's not going to help you survive. 
That's not going to help you survive. Matthew 24 says, the one who endures will be saved. So how are you going to endure? One way you're going to endure is that you must have a robust theology for tribulation and suffering and death. We need a robust, realistic, resurrection-anchored, salvation-focused, eternally-minded theology for tribulation, suffering, and death. That's a lot of adjectives. And I want you to hear each one. When I say robust, what I mean is that it is resilient. You can beat it. It, has, it gets back into shape. It is strong. It can withstand a lot, of, a lot of the things that people out there are saying about death. It doesn't wilt easily. It is a realistic, it is a realistic theology. For suffering and death. I mean, it's not airy-fairy. It's not like, 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 like you know, uh, thinking like we are angels or anything like that. It's absolutely grounded in the realities of our world. It is resurrection anchored, meaning that we must have a theology for suffering and death that is anchored in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the dead have risen because Jesus has risen and in the same way we too shall rise that's so important for our theology of suffering and death to be anchored in the resurrection salvation focus that the, your understanding of death and suffering is fixed on the salvation work the saving work of Jesus Christ that lasts into forever eternally minded view of death and that's why a lot of people don't have. That's why fear of death is so real out there. But it shouldn't be that way for the Christian. It shouldn't. Christians, you know what, my friends? Christians used to be known, defined by our, by our how, how glorious and how unafraid we have, uh -uh, of death. That used to be what defined us. Christians in the first century used to be defined by saying that if I go to the lions and if I go to the dogs, fine. I have died, been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Meaning, I have died. You can't kill me because I'm on that other shore and I'm, I'm safe on that other shore. So I'm not afraid of all these things that can happen to me because, because you can take my mortal body, but you cannot take my forever with Jesus. That's Christian theology of death. And so sometimes you may hear in Chinese circles, I grew up in the Hokkien Teochew family, so I, I can tell you this, that sometimes people say death See, they see that. And it's like, wow, wow, Choi, don't say, don't say that, you know, don't talk Choi, 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 you know, everything small thing talk about that also Choi, 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 right? Hey, come on, lah, we're Christians. We, we, we believe in the Jesus who died but was resurrected. How can we Choi, Choi, Choi over death, right? Now, sometimes we even transport some of that, some of that superstition into our Christian faith and then we veil it and we kind of like baptize that superstition and call it, you know, um, don't speak death. And I want, I want to get into this today, okay? Because there is a real thing called speaking death. And then there is superstition pretending to be don't speak death. I tell you what speak death is. We don't speak death. I tell you what speak death is. In 2017, when we did our 
PJB 17 in Penampang. A team of Bobohizan, they are shamans, right? Okay, they are witch doctors, came into our Penampang Stadium, went to the side of the stage and started to curse our young people so that young people of, of, of young Christians uh, will die. That's speaking death. And we duly hauled them out of that stadium and showed them the exit. Actually, we actually literally carried them and dragged them out, right? We don't speak death. But church, if you are a Christian and you are facing terminal illness, if you are a Christian and you are sick, so sick maybe that you are not sure how many more days the Lord has appointed for you and you sometimes open your mouth and say, I don't know when my end is. And then someone says, hey, pss, 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 don't speak death, you know? I believe that's not the Christian way to do things, okay? You want to have faith that you'll be healed, have faith that you'll be healed. We'll all have faith that you'll be healed, right? But as Christians, we should not carry our pre-Christian superstitions about issues of death because you know what? We have a glorious... Speaking death is speaking untimely death. But the Christian view of death, when Christian death is timed according to God after a life of leading, living according to the glorious purposes of God Christian death is glorious and beautiful and powerful and magnificent and it reveals the revelation the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we should all grieve but grieve with expectation and hope and joy that for them they have gone for something better far better so church, I don't want you to have this nambi pambi fear. Oh, so kiasi. Don't be kiasi. When Matthew 24 says that those who endure till the end will be saved. You know who are the ones who don't endure till the who, who fail to endure? Kiasi. Don't endure. Kiasi people will, will say, thank you, bye-bye, uh, uh, let me go and, and, and count in my own life and safeguard my own things. And you kiasi and your heart grows cold. Please don't be afraid to die. It sounds like, oh gosh, why? How can, how can a young man, 41 years old, tell me don't be afraid to die? Many of y'all know that when I was 22, 21, turning 22, I went out onto the streets and waited for a tram in Melbourne, waited for the next tram to come because I wanted to throw myself onto the train tracks, onto the tram tracks, right? You have heard my story many times already. And that's a stupid version of not afraid to die. But actually, you know what? I was afraid to die. I was afraid to die. And I'm thankful that for some reason there was no tram at that time. And I sat down on the curbside and started crying. And today, that, that emo 22-year-old has died. He died across the table in a church in Melbourne when a pastor there led that boy, that young man, to the Lord. And that boy died right there. And when I say at my baptism, I declare 
Galatians 2.20, not I was so smart, I was a young Christian, they asked me to declare one. <laughs> but, 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 but having declared it and memorized it, it became such an integral verse for my life. I have been crucified with Christ. Means I die already, you know. But I'm alive on the other shore, you know. I'm not afraid of murder. I've been dead, I've been buried, but I'm alive across the other shore. And this life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So my friends, I don't want you to have a nambi, pambi view of death now. Will Fergus Ong endure and last through to the very end? You know what? I'll only know when that moment comes. But as I prepare myself for that moment, I don't want to be, have a nambi, pambi theology of death. I want to remember. Let's look at Philippians uh, 1 verse 4. Right? Sorry, verse 19. Philippians 1. Paul says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Friends, you don't just repeat this in funeral services. I know we all hear this in funeral services. But maybe sometimes we only hear in funeral service and I really, I promise you, I don't say this to offend. I promise you that I don't say this to offend. Sometimes we only say this in funeral service because no chance already, no hope already, pass away already. What, what, what other Bible verse do you have to go to? Pass away already, then we all come and say, oh yeah, to live is Christ, to die is gain, to die is gain, to die is gain, is better. And then we go out of the wake service back into Kiasi mentality. Is that the Christian way? Is that a robust, resurrection-oriented, anchored way to think about suffering and death? No, it's not. So what is the Christian way to think about death? My desire is to depart with Christ, for that is far better. Not I say one, uh, Paul say one, uh, it's in the Bible, we all have to wrestle with this. Uh, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you, for each other, for this so if Jesus Christ kept Fergus on alive for 41 years, it is for this. Or the remaining years after I was saved, right? It's for this. It's for this, my family. So that, so that for their account and for your account. And if not for you and if not for them, it is far better. I go back to Christ. Far better. No need lockdown when, when I'm eternally with Jesus. And same for every one of us. So let's move on. Let's move on. Revelation 12. Remember, let's anchor back to Revelation 12. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, word of testimony. We looked at word of testimony just now. They love not their lives even unto death. These Revelation 12 Christians were not afraid. Their lives crucified already. They live to the edge of the most dangerous thing they can do for Jesus, testify for him. Let's move on. Last one, and we're finished. How convicting is your FaceTime with Jesus? Was my first question. How robust is your theology for suffering? Is my second question. And the third one is this. How responsive are you to being tested and purified? You know, church, Chinese people, we don't like to be tested on a Okay. I don't know if, if you're, you're Pakistani here, do you like tests? 
you know, you're Indian here, you, you like, do you like tests? Yeah, Sabahan, you know, do you like tests? I think most of us don't like tests. Every time got Ujian, we get scared. You know why? Because you're scared you fail and then mother father scold you, right? Every time you got tests, no. And, and then that's what we do. Exam time, we, we study, 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 hope that we can get high marks, correct? But actually, do you know what a test is? A test is actually not, oh, we turn it into, in, into an excuse so that we can study hard, so that we can get as high a mark as possible, right? And a lot of times, parents see tests as, I want you to get as high a mark as possible. But a test is actually a litmus test. It's like a temperature reading. It is there to see where you're at. So if your mark is not that high, your mark is here, then that's where you're at. I know. The point of a test is not the result of the test. The point of the test is your response to the result of the test. You see that? You see that? So it's not like, wow, I must get 100, I must get 100, and I get as close to 100, then I go, yay. And then I okay, all good. No, that defeats the whole purpose of a test. A test is a temperature reading. You want to know how far you've come studying for six months in school? Take a test. And that test will reveal to you how much your understanding is. And you know what? Having known what your level of understanding is, then you have a response. And what's more important about the test is not the result. It is the response to the result. My friends, how responsive are we to the testing of the days that we are experiencing? The trial, the tribulation, the wars, and all these things. How are we responding to the test? Some of you are freaking out. And that's your result. You found out with testing, I freak out. But it's not about the freaking out. It's about your response. Oh my goodness, Lord. I see that I am so easily shaken and so easily alarmed. My response now is, I want to start going to the Lord and spend just 10 minutes more with the Lord each day and allow Him to search my heart and put courage in me. And then every day you say, Lord, make me more courageous. Make me more courageous. Don't help me to not freak out. Help me to trust in You. For You are my rock. You are my fortress. You are my cleft in the, in, in the rock. You are, you, you are my, my firm foundation. And the more you do that, it's the response that you have have to the, the so-called failed result of the test. And the Bible has something to say about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it describes, let, let's look at what Paul says, right? No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Now, if I just read all of those six uh, uh, um, uh, things, all those six materials, you're going to think they're just one strand of, of examples. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. But actually, it is two categories. There is the gold, silver, precious stones. And then there is the wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will be manifest for the day will disclose it. Which day? The day of trials, tribulation, fire, famine, right? That day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. So my friends, the fire not just will come, it has come, it is here. COVID is a kind of fire and it is testing us, okay? So if you look at the next slide, you have got gold, silver, precious stones on one side. You've got wood, hay, straw on the other side. When fire goes through all six of them, wood, hay, straw burns up. Wood, hay, straw is destroyed by the testing. 
Gold, silver, precious stones don't burn up. They are refined by the testing. The impurities in the gold, the impurities in the silver and the precious stones, if there be any, are all burnt away. And what's left is a pure substance, a purer substance at the end of it compared to from before it. Fire goes through everything. And the trials of COVID have gone through everything. Everything you know has been shaken. Not one part of your life has not experienced shaking. And the ones that are strong, that are anchored in Christ, the go, tidak kukuh, tidak tumbang. Right? Right? And so the same. What are you made of, church? Because if you're made of gold, silver, precious stones, you will stay standing. And what does it mean to be made of these things? It means to put your foundations in God. So don't turn to the remedies of this world alone. Let every remedy of this world pass through the filter. Is this anchored in the way God treats the world, the uh, difficult days, challenging days, trials, the, is this representative of how God sees death and suffering and tribulation? Because I want to be anchored in God. And so, so, so my friends, when fire goes through, if you're anchored in God, you're purified. Purified. Now, I know we say a lot of things about purity in Christian circles. And sometimes we, we talk about purity like it's something that we have to do. And, and yeah, I get that. I get that because the Bible does say whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is holy, whatever is good, think about these things. So on some level, there is an element of doing purity. Okay? There is an element of, of, of your, your, the active things you can do. But of course, if you think about it a bit more, a lot of the purity things in, involve abstaining. Don't do Right? Abstain from sexual immorality, abstain from, from, from slurring against people, abstain from dissing the government. Right? Um, I want you all to know that, that the whole range of, of defiling things, the purity issues is much more than just sometimes we only reduce it to one or two pet peeves that we have. Right? It's not. It's much more. Right? Racist jokes makes you um, impure. Slurring the government makes you impure. Right? So yes, there's, a, there's some things about purity that you do. Some things about purity that is abstinent, so you just don't do, right? Purity is a posture of your heart. And I want to share, share with us this in closing. Purity is not so much what we do. More often than not, it is something God does to you. Let's let this sink in. Purity is not something you do. Purity is something God does to you. He makes us pure by the washing of the blood of the Lamb. He makes us pure by sacrificing Himself and letting us come under the, the, the payment for our sins so that we can be washed, cleansed, clean. Now, I can tell you this, my friends. The gospel narratives, you read them, you will see so many times, over and over and over again, the gospel writers comparing the morally pious person against the wretched, desperate sinner. Over and over again. I can't tell you how many times, right? But you have the publican praying versus the, the, the sinner who was praying, right? You've got um, Simon the Zealot hosting the meal and then the woman who comes in, you know, and, and, and washes Jesus' feet, right? Over and over again, you've got the people who drag the woman and say, stone her, she committed adultery, the morally pious, and then the woman who committed adultery, right? And over and over again, you see this. And I believe that these 
the, the trajectory, what God is trying to teach us, He's not trying to teach us that being morally pious is wrong. That's a wrong lesson to learn. What He's trying to say is, identify with the broken sinner. As you aspire towards moral piety, identify with the broken sinner. Identify with the one who needs salvation. Because I can tell you, my friends, the moment you read your Bible and you identify with the morally pious, self-righteousness takes root in your heart. It can't have it any other way. The moment you read a story with one broken sinner and one morally pious person and you identify with the morally pious person, self-righteousness comes in. I am this one. This is me in this story. And then you think more highly of yourself than you deserve. Because all of us deserve to go to the fire, to die. And our salvation is more than we deserve. Our salvation is grace that we did not earn, unearned favour. So my friends, as you read your Bible, identify with the broken sinner. Aspire towards moral, moral piety, of course. Aspire towards holy living, of course. Aspire towards keeping pure, of course. But you know you're going to fail. It doesn't stop us from aspiration. And every time you fail, come under the blood of Jesus Christ because purity is not about what you can do. Purity is about what God does for you. He cleanses you. He cleanses you by the blood of His Son. And in this way, Revelation 12, how the saints defeat and, and throw down the accuser is made complete. We have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb. The word of the testimony, for we did not love our lives even unto death. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you cover us all in the blood of Jesus Christ. That you cleanse us, Lord God, that our fire, when we come before you, you make our fire hot and holy. And we know that we can't make our own fires hot and holy. We know that it is by your hand that you fan into flame. We can put ourselves as much right as possible. We can aspire for moral, morally pious living as much as possible. We are just setting the ingredients up. The match must be lit by Jesus. We can even take the match and strike it, but the ignition must come from Jesus, lest any of us boast that we did it on ourselves. Father, Father, help us to stand before you, Lord God, and say, you are the Holy One. You are the one who is hot and holy. And we want to come into your fire. And that fire protects us from the fires that are in this world. You are a holy God. Father, indeed, we belong to a holy God. And Father, we come before you and say, Lord, when we say worthy is the Lamb, the Lamb was worthy because the Lamb was slain. The Lamb was worthy because the Lamb went onto the cross. The Lamb was worthy because it did not get off the cross. The Lamb was worthy because it took a hit for us, the hit for every single one of us. The Lamb is worthy. Worthy to open the seals. Worthy to receive our adoration. Worthy to receive our praise. Worthy to be glorified. Worthy to make, make much of. Worthy to receive fame. We're not worthy to be famous. Who among us is worthy to be famous? But Jesus is. Why? Because he went to the depths of death 
rose again to life for us. You are worthy. You are holy. And we shall be victorious. Sungai Buloh Church, S-I-B-K-L, we shall be victorious when we do not fear death, not even fearing death to the expense of our own lives. And we, are a we have a testimony of our encounter with Jesus that changed us so much it will rip through all our social engagements because we are hot for Him. And, and, and we are covered not by our own works of saving ourselves, but we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us and makes us pure and holy. In this way, Lord God, we pray that the accuser of the brethren will be thrown down, that Satan will be crushed under the feet of the church. For you say in Romans chapter 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. So Lord Jesus, take today and make it a glorious one. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the power, transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with every single one of us for the rest of this day and all of God's people shout aloud. Amen.